We are in message number 12 on the book of Revelation. I feel like I have to suck in. I have work to do. I have work to do. The series is titled Revelation Revealed. Last week we went over Revelation chapter 6, 1 through 6. Hmm. We also did a seven-minute review of what was covered, uh, the very basics of what was covered in the first five chapters, in these first ten messages in this series. Last week, we covered the first three sealed judgments, where we got into the famous four horsemen of the apocalypse, as the world has labeled them. And they were released out of heaven one by one. The first horse was a white horse. The rider was carrying a bow, had no arrows because he initially comes as a peacemaker and he had a crown on his head, which was not the crown of a king. It was a victor's crown because he conquered. We know it was a victor's crown because of the Greek word there, uh, Stephanos. And he represents the Antichrist, that first rider on the first horse. There was a rider on a red horse after that. He was given a short sword and given the power to take peace from the earth, make men slay each other. In the Greek context, it's a personal, up-close type of violence that that's talking about. That is going on all over the world when this thing is released. We've talked about how some scholars believe how the rider on the red horse represents communism. Then the third seal that was opened was a black horse that brought worldwide famine like it's never been before. And just summing those verses up, when it gets to this point, a day's wages will feed a person for one day. Break that down into approximate for this day and age. One day's worth of food is going to cost between $200 and $250 a day. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little less. For one adult, at least 150 bucks, for one adult, uh, just to eat a day, a family of four, to feed a family of four would cost, is going to cost somewhere between $600 and $1,000 a day, just for one day. So murder elevated to 1,000 times more, who knows how much more. Real food shortages and inflation like we've never seen before in these first three seals with a world leader who seems to have all the answers, his, the feather in his cap is he, he, he creates a seven-year peace treaty right away um, between Israel, the Palestinians, and probably the surrounding countries. So let's just read, uh, let's read these scriptures we're going to look at here real quick. When the lamb broke open, Jesus broke open the fourth seal, I heard the fourth creature call out, come. This is John, the apostle, writing this. So I looked and seeing this, and behold, an ashy, pale horse, black and blue, as if made by, so by bruising. So we're thinking, we think, we're thinking pale horse, like what Clint Eastwood rode, right? And pale rider. But it's, a, it's an actual black and blue, and its rider's name with death was death, and Hades, the realm of the dead, followed him. So he had an entourage. And it says, and they... Not just him, but they 
We're given authority and power over a fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with plague, pestilence, disease, and with wild beasts on the earth. When you see that word plague, neither shall any plague come near my dwelling, Psalm 91. You're talking about disease, all right? And when the, the lamb broke open the fifth seal, I saw at the foot of the altar the souls of those whose lives had been sacrificed for adhering to the word of God and for the testimony they had borne. And they, here they are in heaven. I didn't know there was vengeance in heaven. I thought there were no more tears in heaven because they cried in a loud voice, oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, this is at the throne. How long before you sit in judgment and avenge our blood? upon those who dwell on earth. Then they were each given a long, flowing, festive, white robe and told to rest and wait patiently a little while longer until the number should be complete of their fellow servants and other Christians who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So looking at what we just read, in verse 7, you have the fourth seal being opened, the, vo the, the, the voice of the fourth beast saying, come and see. And we, we, we did go over those beasts up there around the, in the throne room. And we, uh, I think it may have been a Saturday night where I was trying to show you pictures of artists that were, had drawn. Did I show you guys those pictures? That was in chapter 4. Well, now, now look, just looking at, at, at verse 8. A pale horse, the Amplified calls it, black and blue. The Greek word for pale is chloros. chloros. Some scholars believe this horse was a dingy, yellowish green because of that chloros. The Amplified calls it black and blue. But most people, most scholars think it's an actual color green like chlorophyll. So in just looking at these horsemen, you have the rider on the white horse, partially armed with a bow, no arrows. The red horse rider carried a single short sword. The rider on the black horse had two weapons, economic collapse and famine. And so, and the famine, but this rider is given four weapons, uh, a sword, which means war, Famine, plagues and diseases, and wild animals. And notice it says in verse 8, the last part, and they were given authority and power over a fourth of the earth to kill with war, famine, plague, disease, and the wild beasts of the earth. So this rider on a pale horse is called death. He's going to kill one-fourth of the earth. Eight billion people on the earth. Well, I believe, like it says, like seven times in the New Testament, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, died and rose again, four words, if you believe that, you're going in the rapture. I think it's going to be more than less because a lot of people believe that Jesus died and rose again. And what I think it's going to be, let's just say a billion people go on the rapture. One-eighth of the world disappears. Or 800 million or something like that. Well, seven billion people left. 
one-fourth of the earth, what this seal kills is 1,750,000,000 people. So this seal alone kills right under 2 billion. I don't know why. I don't want to spend a lot of time chasing this point, but I believe them. Most commentators believe these are all non-Christians that are killed here. But if we break down just his four weapons into fourths, let's say they all get an equal share. Okay? That means he kills by famine, diseases, the wild beasts of the earth, and war. You know, and, and let's just say one-fourth, 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 and one-fourth. That's 438 million people are dying from animal attacks. 438 million from famine, 438 million from war. Let me tell you something. World War I and World War II together worldwide was 105 million people died. This seal is given the power just in one of its weapons to kill four times that. So it makes you wonder, is there, is there going to be a lot of other nuclear weapons here? How else can something like that happen through war? And no one knows if once the seal is open, is this going to take a few years? And is the other seal behind it already falling? And this one hasn't, this judgment isn't complete yet? No one knows. If you look at the animals, you can see an upscale. This is already in the world. I am aware of this because I'm looking for it. You have to be looking for this. And I am paying attention. All I can tell you is plead the blood of Jesus over your pets. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for it, 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 crazy things are happening. And why? Why now? Why now? Second Thessalonians 2.7. The mystery of lawlessness, that hidden principle of rebellion against constituted authority, even the animals, is already at work in the world. This is before the Antichrist is revealed. But it is restrained. We are restraining it. Only until he, that's us, who is restraining, is taken out of the way. How much do you want it restrained? That's why the Bible says pray for your leaders. In the New Testament, whether if you like them or not, if you, it says if you want a peaceful life, pray for your leaders. That's what it says. And think about it. He's writing that. They were, they were praying for Caesar, a pagan worshiping Caesar for the Romans. That, that, that lawlessness against constituted authority is already at work. We just read right now. Before all this stuff happens, and we're restraining it. When the earth is going through these birth pains that Jesus talked about, we are the restraints until we're taken out of the way. But what I'm saying is, you can already see these things if you're paying attention. They're already at work, but are restrained. Because when we do, the, I know these, these things with pets and these animal attacks are going on. I mean, you had, you, had, you had monkeys steal 50 babies over in Japan, just stealing them. You know, because those, 
<laughs> people are looking at me smiling. It's true. That's not, that's not, it's nothing to laugh about. But that, that is not conspiracy. You know, I'm not going to sit here and waste half the sermon telling you all these things. It just doesn't seem right in church, right? But the Bible prophesies that this stuff will be at work before the Antichrist even gets here, and we have a job to restrain it. You should be exercising your faith every single day. People used to make fun of me for saying things like, exercise your faith for little things every day, win or lose, whether if you're successful or not. Faith is like a muscle. If you really think about it, you can use your faith in just about everything you do. Whether, I mean, you can ask for the desire to eat in moderation. And if you don't that day, you come back the next day and you ask him. And eventually it is going to kick. The same with working out. If it's in traffic, if it's at the grocery store, if it's for a parking place, well, I tried that, it didn't work. Well, try it again and focus on the name of Jesus. Try it again and think about the command. Are you thinking about believing and receiving? And my point is, if you can't use your faith to get a parking spot at the grocery store up front, you're going to have a hard time using your faith, stopping a bullet or staying out of that situation. And if you can't use your faith for $100 to sit there and call in a mansion, I personally believe is ridiculous. You can disagree with me. But I've heard people preach this that I know a lot more than me. You have to exercise your faith every day. Maybe you can make that Hail Mary of going from a $1,000 a month apartment to a mansion. This is for some, I know this for somebody in here. The house that I've lived in for 27 years was appraised four years ago at $300,000. It goes up and down with the market. But if I wanted to move somewhere, and I will probably never move anywhere, this is where my children grew up, and I wanted something better, what would I believe God for if I wanted something better, more expensive? I would not set my faith at a $2 million mansion. I wouldn't. I would set my house, I would set it at six, five fifty, six, seven, because I know where I am. I believe God for a certain amount of people to come into these services. I believe God for the offering. I believe God for people to be touched. I'm doing it all week. And, 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 and you can ask astronomical, and somebody said, oh, it's, it's about above all that you can ask, think, pray, or even dream. Just make sure you can bring in a, believe in $100 first. Trust me. Then, 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 yes, there's always more. It is always more. It's like a, it's like a guy that's never lifted weights is not going to come in and bench press 225 pounds. He's not going to get it off his chest. It's the same principle. It really does work the same way in the faith world. Even symptoms. Um, my dog has a split 
toenail right now, cracked at the bottom. And I, and I pray over it. And I pray over it again. And then I thank him for the healing. And I want a quick healing because he can't do anything. And he doesn't understand. Right? I'm just saying you can, you can use your faith in a million ways. All day. And I'm, I apologize for that rabbit trail. As, as we go into the fifth seal, I do want to make one more point on the, on the last verse, Revelation 6, 8, because I saw something interesting. A really famous commentator on the book of Revelation said, uh, speaking about the animal attacks, he says, it's a strong signal being that we are estimating that 438 million will die from animal attacks. It's a strong signal to the politically correct that worship mother nature and value the life of animals over the lives of unborn babies. You hit your dog and somebody sees it, you can go to jail. But they can kill all the babies they want. Now you can have the baby and just leave it. In California, this is a form of God's judgment showing the world is very wrong to worship Mother Nature. And the animals are going to turn on the unbelieving world and add to death and eternal damnation for 440 million people. Because they're all going to be non-Christians. And in verse 9, this is why you you want a relationship with Jesus now. Verse 9, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Right after the rapture, millions, minimally, will accept Christ immediately. You know it. Think about it. Think of the churches are going to be full that weekend. They're going to be full. And someone will be here. I just pray to God it's not me. <laughs> some of them, <laughs> but I'll give it my all. And some of these scholars believe this stuff is going to happen in a matter of days. That's how I was trying to figure out how do 440 million people die because from war. World War II took seven years to kill 80 million That's why I'm thinking, and there is, you're going to see, there is going to be nuclear weapons flying around. Hal Lindsey says, you guys remember Hal Lindsey? It staggers the imagination to realize that one-fourth of the world's population will be destroyed in a matter of days. When I think about this awful judgment that awaits the Christ-rejecting world, are you a Christ-rejecter? If there is anyone, I'm talking to you uh, online. It gives no satisfaction to my heart, he says. It fires me up to get out the message that God has provided an alternative in Jesus Christ. And that, that's, that's one of the reasons I'm preaching this. And so we read Revelation 6, 9, and the opening of the fifth seal changes from the death of unbelievers to the death of believers. You don't have the four living creatures up there in the throne room summoning or calling out any more horses. And there's a, big, there's a big dispute, just something to think about, that I, I don't have time to, I could spend a long time 
pondering this, but I just didn't have time, and it doesn't matter anyways. We're not going to find out till we get up there. But because those, those people are at the altar, there's, they're at the altar in the throne room crying for vengeance. Many scholars believe they're not glorified yet. Otherwise, why are they vengeful in heaven? Well, let's go real deep, just to make you think. Well, what is Lucifer doing when he charged up there? There was a war. I'm just trying to make you think. I don't have the answers. A a large number of scholars believe they're in heaven at the throne room calling for vengeance. They have not been given glorified bodies, but then they're standing in the presence of God. Some scholars, these same scholars believe it's the clothing that they're wearing that protects them from the glory of God. But the whole thing's a dead end. The bottom line is we don't want to be one of those people. We want to already be there and say, oh, they're coming in. This is the reason I'm preaching this, so that people can say, I don't want to have to go through that. And we're reading that those people will lose their heads like the French Revolution with a guillotine. These are called the tribulation saints. Verses 10 and 11, they cry in a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, does thou not judge and avenge? Give us vengeance. Venge our blood on them on the earth. And and they're given white robes, and they're basically said, just rest for a season. There are more. It's not time yet. So they're calling for vengeance, the tribulation saints, at the throne of God in verses 10 and 11. Many commentators believe these white robes symbolize righteousness. And, And that they say that backs up the belief that they have glorified bodies if they're wearing that righteousness, but there's a couple of great points made on this. These scriptures are complete and total evidence that there is a definite awareness by those in heaven of what is taking place on earth. You can't look at that any other way. You know how you get that question all the time, are they watching? And also in verse nine, it was talking about an altar. I never caught this before. That the the, the temple on earth there was something called the altar of incense that was immediately in front of the veil. We looked at the veil last week, which hid the Holy of Holies behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant. And so it was the, behind that altar was the throne of God. Quoting famous end times expert Hal Lindsey again, it's sobering fact that if people will not give their hearts to Jesus right now, while it is so easy, And no cost, when the tribulation judgment sets in, they can still be saved, but it will be so as by fire. And so in Revelation 6.11, the martyrs in the tribulation have refused to get the mark, are told to wait a little longer, to be patient, that they have to wait until other believers are killed. And, And... Verse 12, I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. Okay, just before we read that, you don't want to be in line 
waiting to be a guillotine with a big New Year's Eve party and Miley Cyrus doing a concert on the side or something, whoever it is, right? One of those, one of those famous singers singing about the devil. It is. There's hits. Satanism is so on the rise. It's, it's, It's made to be like no big deal now. Every day, you should, this is for someone in here, you should, you should take authority over any curse or curses that have been leveled against you or your family from any witch, warlock, or Satanist. And you render it ineffective in the name of Jesus and send it back to the cursor. You, you think that's funny, or that's, this is the truth. You should do that every day over your children, Verse 12, and when I beheld when I opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black, and the moon became as blood. The earthquake, many scholars believe, is triggered by an explosion. You have the whole earth in convulsions. They believe that the nuclear explosions are what spews tons of debris into the atmosphere. And if you put these scriptures together, you can kind of see this. Darkening the sun, giving the moon a red appearance, Regardless, we know that we have one earthquake here, and this kind of kicks off a bunch of natural disasters. As destructive as this sixth seal, the earthquake will be, there are three more earthquakes talked about during the tribulation that are even worse. And you know, one great thing about the book of Revelation, it's always, if you're willing to study, you can always put it into context with the rest of the Bible. You can find this stuff to prove it out. Uh, many commentators believe Isaiah 24, 18 through 21 is this. He's prophesying this event. And it, it shall come to pass, in verse 18, that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear, that's the earthquake, fall into the pit, and he that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare. For the windows from on, that means you, there's nowhere to hide. You can try to hide underground, you come out from underground. Either way, there's nowhere to hide. The foundations of the earth shake. Verse 19, the earth is utterly broken down. The earth is cleanly dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. Verse 20, the earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, shall be removed like a cottage, and the transgression thereof shall be heavy on it, and it shall fall and not rise again. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall... This is how you know this is this scripture. You'll see if you put all this together. This is the Revelation scripture shall punish the host of the high ones that are high, the kings of the earth upon the earth. Verse 13. So, earthquake, same seal, the stars of heaven fell onto the earth as a fig tree casting her untimely figs when she is shaken by a mighty wind. The earth, stars, most stars are bigger than the earth. John's just writing what he saw. He couldn't have seen stars falling and hitting the earth. Many prophecy experts believe John not knowing what he was seeing, and this is spec, I don't think it's speculative. When you put these together, these scriptures, the stars could have been missiles. It's a toss-up. Missiles or a meteor shower. And that's why Isaiah says, he who flees from the noise of the fear falls into a pit. In an earthquake, you don't want to be on the top floor anywhere, right? 
But those are the people running from the earthquake, and then he comes out of the midst of the pit, shall be taken in a snare. Why? They get hit with a missile or a meteor. They're hiding underground. Revelation 6.14, proof of nuclear here. The, the sky rolled up like a scroll and vanished, and every mountain and island was dislodged from its place. Now, there, I agree with, with, with these commentators. They are saying this is nuclear war because the Bible is very clear. We just read, the sky is rolling up like a scroll. It's basically, that's what, what that saying is. During a nuclear blast, during an actual nuclear blast, the wind is pushed out from where the bomb hits at a super high rate of speed for a few miles. And what happens at the blast site, it creates a vacuum. And then the wind that rushed outwards from the blast rushes back in to where the bomb hit and the sky literally rolls up. And that's exactly what we just read. That the sky rolled up like a scroll. After he sees stars, missile, possible missiles that he thinks are stars, and that's why they think what's called, what caused the earthquake, right, was, was the nukes. Verses 15 through 17, and the kings of the earth and the great men, remember Isaiah talked about the kings, and the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, every bondman, every free man, hid themselves in the dens, in the rocks, in the mountains, and said to the mountains, fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of Jesus, for the great day of his wrath is come. Who shall be able to stand? This is indicating that regardless of your status on earth, Bill Gates, Prince Charles, King Charles, Klaus Schwab, leader of the world economic forum that dresses up like a satanic priest, says he has divine powers and says God is dead. They will understand the violence and they will understand after an earthquake, the sun turning black, the moon red, the catastrophic meteor shower, or some type of nuclear war, they will understand they are experiencing physical judgment because of spiritual sin. And I'll tell you something else, because it says the kings of the earth, the great men, the generals, the mighty men are saying to the mountains, hide us from the face of God who sits on the throne and from the wrath of Jesus. So they know. These guys know in the tribulation, and they're trying to hide when he's, he's still standing there. Jesus is still, still standing there with his arms wide open. They could throw themselves on the mercy of God, but it says what they say. But remember now what God says to the martyrs. He was going to delay the final judgment until the full number of converts that's in the tribulation is complete. These guys, everyone on earth at this time is a prayer away. And at the time, for those on earth, they choose darkness, at least the ones in charge. And this is just one into, you know, by the bold judgments, they are cursing God. They, they know this is from him. They are cursing him. Hallelujah. I was just thinking, uh, 
How do you kill 440 million? Remember the sword, uh, which is war? Kills 440 million people in a matter of days? How does that happen? When World War II killed 80 million people in seven years. How do you kill 440 million people in a matter of days? It's got to be nuclear war. It's got to be nuclear war. That's the sword. Remember the thief on the cross next to Jesus? All he said was, remember me? And Jesus said, I'll see you in heaven. And they're still, these guys are still saying, hide me from God. So they know, they know. One thing, if you're viewing these sermons and you find yourself in the tribulation and you're trying to find out what's coming, so you're searching the different social media platforms, you can be sure you're always just one prayer away if you miss the rapture. Ask him to come into your heart to be your savior and be your Lord, and you have to refuse the mark of the beast, the chip, whatever they're going to put in you, guarantee you long life, guarantee you a healthy life. You cannot have that and go to heaven. You cannot have that and go to heaven. If you get that, there's no turning back. And so, what's the reason for all this? As we switch gears here and begin to close, begin to close. We're beginning the close. I always like to know that. I'm like, I'm, I'm like the watch guy. Well, he's gone 39 minutes. He hasn't even closed. He said nothing about a close. Well, this guy has long closes. You know, this is what's going through my head when I'm out there, right? So just for you guys out there that are like me and ladies, Psalm 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping? So he was quoting the Bible when he said that. Why are you so far from helping me? It's not what you think here. He's not asking to come off the cross. We're going to cover this. And from the words of my groaning, God was forsaking Jesus and that he would not deliver him from the cross, but Jesus was not asking for deliverance. And I think you, as we go through the psalm, you'll find that out. Matthew 27, 39, and 40, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying that thou that, think about this, people walking by, oh, oh, you said you'd destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself, you'd be the son of God while he's up there. And if he had come down from the cross when they were ridiculing him, Redemption could have never happened for us. It never would have happened. Can we, can, we, can we put that picture up of Jesus? So we have Jesus on the cross bearing the sin penalty for all men, all time. But God could not look at him. At least from 12 noon to 3 in the afternoon, God couldn't look at him. Habakkuk 1.13 prophesies, Thou art purer eyes than to behold this evil. He's talking about the cross. And canst not look on this iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously. Holdest the, and he's holding his tongue. When the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than them. Jesus being completely sinless. 
during his life became every sin that you or I will ever commit. And you had that darkness that lasted from 12 noon to 3 p.m. You can see that in Matthew 27, 45. Just looking at that quickly. Noon to three. Noon to three. But one commentator believes no man saw him die because it was dark. I don't know if I could believe it was that dark. And I'll show you why. Listen to this. 12 to 3, totally dark. Then right before, seconds before he died, John 19.30, when Jesus received the vinegar. So somehow they had to, you know, they're shoving a, I just picture a, 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 a vinegar, a sponge or something full of vinegar just being shoved into his face, right? So they had to be able to see something. Right after that, he said, it is finished. Bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And what we have in the 22nd Psalm is a prophecy of the suffering of Christ. And really, verses 22 through 31 talk about the glory that follows. Psalm 22 was an existent centuries before Christ was on this earth as a man. And you have this psalm glorifying him as an offering for every sin that we've ever committed or will ever commit. Isaiah 53, 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That word means crush, crushed him and put him to grief. He was heartbroken. He was grieved. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, Psalm 40 glorifies him as a burnt offering, covering the law here. Psalm 69 glorifies him as the trespass offering. This is part, his part of totally fulfilling the law of Moses. And looking at Psalm 22, if you read it through, you can travel with Jesus actually a little way into his suffering. And it's good for you to do that. There, there does get up to be a point where you can't travel with him. What I'm saying is you can picture yourself there and that is healthy to do. The depth of horrific experience to which Jesus who was sinless sank under the wrath and judgment of God as the offering once and for all, for all time. We can't even fathom it. Verse 12, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round Read, uh, let's see, Bashan was a district east of, the jo- of Jordan where cattle were raised and the, Isra- the Israelis would go buy the strongest bulls, would bring them back from Bashan. Jesus is talking about these bulls. He was referring to the religious leaders under the law in Israel who were controlled by strong demon spirits. Most It's controversial because some commentators believe this is in hell where these demons beset him. Others believe it's the demonic powers gathered around the cross. So he's getting it from people, but he's seeing past them. He's he's seeing the real spiritual demons that are responsible for his death. That's what he's seeing. Verse 13, against me they have opened their mouths like a ravening and roaring lion. And you think about the cruelty of these 
godly religious leaders so venomous, and this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what he's going through. These people with so-called relationship with God while he's dying on the cross, completely naked. They're making fun of him, demeaning him. This, think what he's got to be thinking. I, I was there when, when these guys were created. Beaten, whipped till his face is unrecognizable. He's got the bones of his ribs showing, his beard yanked out. And what does he say to the venomous ridicule? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Luke 22, 34. That's way above my pay grade. I would not be saying forgive them. Verses 14 through 16, this gives you, I am poured out like water. Just exhausted. Done. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. The dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet. And just from these three verses, seven things poured out like water, exhausted. Number two, bones out of joint. Crucifixion usually caused death by first pulling the bones out of joint. That's where it started. That's what usually how they die because the bones come out of joint. It makes it hard to breathe. You can't hold yourself up. You've got to pull, the, pull, pull yourself up to breathe. And his heart is like wax. He was broken emotionally. He was every bit as broken as he was physically. He had to be to pay the true penalty. He had to have a completely broken heart. His heart is like wax. And looking at verse 14, the fourth thing, it melted in the midst of my bowels. Many scholars believe that means he lost control of his bowels on the cross. And he had to be humiliated more more so than anybody could be humiliated. His strength was dried up. That's what the Jews said. They said they thought God was shaming him when they looked at him. And his tongue was stuck to his jaws, strength gone, hands and feet pierced. And just remember what he said in John 10, 17 and 18, the words of Jesus. Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man takes life from me. Remember he made the point when they came to arrest him in Gethsemane in one of the gospels? All the guys just fell down. They, they, they just all fell down and then got back up. Kind of making a point. I don't have to do this, is what that's saying. No man taking that from me. I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received. It was a command. He laid his life down freely for you, and he did it as a sacrifice for you and me that we had to have. We had to have this. And he didn't do it. He didn't die until the Holy Spirit told him to. That's what I get out of Hebrews 9, 14. You might get something different here. How much more surely shall the blood of Christ by virtue virtue of, of the eternal spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, he offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice to God. And he had to, I feel like he had to, 
the Holy Spirit says, yes, it's all covered. It's all covered. And that's when he says it is finished. Looking quickly at verse 16, the dogs have compassed me is referring to the Gentiles, the Roman soldiers who actually carried out the crucifixion. That's what he's talking about, the dogs. In verse 16, it says, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. That's the scribes, the priests, and the Pharisees. So that, that proves that he's talking about, when he's talking about the bulls of Bashan encompassing him, those are the demons. And those are the demons that are assigned, and they're all watching around the cross carefully. In verse 17, I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. That's from the scourging. He took, ripping his flesh apart. He could look down and see his ribs. But it can also refer to Jesus gasping for breath. It was such a strain to breathe on the cross. Every time he took a breath, his actual bones hurt and he was suffocating. He did not die of suffocation, but he was suffocating because he wasn't getting the oxygen he needed. And then verse 18 has them gambling for his clothes. Verse 19, be, be not far from me. This says so much. Be not far from me. Oh, my strength, haste thee to help me. Be not far from thee backs up the fact that God had to forsake him. He had to turn his back on him. He forsook him so he would never forsake you while he was bare. He bore the penalty of our sin. And, 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 and Jesus knows this, but he's requesting that the Father, just, 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 just don't be too far away. Don't be too far away. Be not far from me. And when Jesus says in verse 18, all my strength Haste to help me. The request me. The moment it is finished, which comes at the moment of death, he's asking the Lord, come quick. Come quick. Hurry up and come when this is done. Verse 20. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. The power of the dog, again, refers to the Romans. When he says darling, that is a term of affection. It means my only one. Just like the Father says that Jesus is his only begotten Son. Jesus calls him my darling. He's saying, you're my only one. You're my only Father. I'm your only Son. Verse 21, save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. This is demons again, the lion's mouth and the horns Unicorn can also be translated wild ox. Um, remember the bulls of Bashan? And, and, and these are figures, demons of death, and really of him who had the power over death at the time was Satan. And we had Jesus asking the Father in this verse, verse that death would not conquer him when he goes into the death world for us. And that prayer was answered. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. So, Jesus is asking the Father in this verse that death would not conquer him when he went into the death world for you. Again, that prayer was answered. And I just, I, just, uh, I just really want to ensure that everyone has this. 
Jesus in you. That everyone in here is a temple of God. I'm always going to bring Jesus into this, these sermons, these Revelation sermons, because it says the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. I, I, just, I just want to make sure, if you guys could bow your heads and close your eyes, if, if, if I want to make sure that, I just want to ask, I want you to make sure, I want you to make sure that you are going when he comes for us the first time, the second time right? The first time, the rapture, when he comes, when you get to see him, I want to make sure you're not left behind. So if, if you feel like you need to acknowledge that you need Jesus in your heart, everybody's heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Could you raise your hand now? Could you raise your hand now? Because I'm not going to have you come up. You're going to say a prayer right there in your chair. I see the hand on the right. Raise your hand now. It, and let me tell you something. If something's telling you to raise your hand, that's not the devil. He would never tell you to raise, raise your hand. I see the second hand, third hand, fourth hand, fifth hand in the balcony, sixth, seventh hand. I see three hands in the balcony. Thank you, Lord. Eight hands, uh, nine, 10, 11. Thank you, Lord. Got that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 12, 12 hands. Okay, you can put your hands down. Thank you, Lord. For those people that raise their hands, we're going to say a prayer. And afterwards, the altar counselors are up front, and they have. You could just say, hey, I said the prayer. And even if you didn't raise your hand and you said the prayer and you meant it, they have information that will help you in your walk that they want to give you. But I just want to, let's just pray this together because, and this is what happens to all 12 of you. This is what happened. You say the prayer and you're going to walk out and the devil's going to say, it's not that easy. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Read Romans 10, 9, and 10. It's that easy. He did the hard stuff. Put the picture back up. He did that. So all you got to do is say it. And, and, you know, you saying, raising your hand is saying. You wouldn't raise your hand if you didn't believe. You wouldn't raise your hand just now if you didn't believe. So don't, tell, don't let the devil, and that's what you do. You got to believe that he died and rose again. I, obviously, if you raise your hand, you believe. So you laugh at that thought if that comes to you. So let's, let's pray this. Let's just seal it right here. Just repeat after me. Dear God in heaven, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he died for my sins on the cross and was raised from the dead three days later. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, to be my Savior, and be my Lord. Thank you for saving me now. Amen. So be it. Amen. So be it. So be it.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so we are going to just seriously close with communion. Is somebody sitting back there going, ah, one more thing? You know what? I appreciate you guys not watching the Vikings today. Okay? All right? It's, it, it, they're in the playoffs anyways, all right? So listen, let me, let, me, let me read this out of Health and Wholeness Through Holy Communion by Joseph Prince. Who, who has heard about the bread, the way the bread was prepared? Raise your hand. Not, not many. Listen to this. The matzah is a good object lesson. The, bread, the flat bread eaten during Passover. It, it, it's what symbolizes the body of Jesus, the bread. The Jewish oral laws gave instructions on the preparation of this bread. These instructions should be of great interest to us. According to these laws, the bread was unleavened, baked, pierced with holes, and striped. Okay? Remember when they ate it in Exodus? Remember where they put the blood over the door? That was the first communion. The same thing they did when Jesus gave the, the last supper, right? This bread was baked, pierced with holes, striped, and unleavened. And the Jewish rabbis have no idea why. You know why? Because they don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And so no leaven was used because leaven in the Bible represents sin. Jesus is the perfect sinless son of God. That is why he is able to take our sins upon himself. His body was burnt with the judgment of God in that darkness to the full fury of God's wrath our sins fell on him this fire this fire of judgment was supposed to fall on us and our families it fell on Jesus his side was pierced he bore those merciless stripes on his back so that our bodies might be whole what a coincidence the bread is pierced and striped the bread of communion So when you come to communion, make sure that you discern, discern his body. When you partake, believe that Jesus took the bread and broke it because his body was going to be broken for you. And as you partake of his broken body, know that his body was broken so yours can be whole. When you partake it in this spirit of faith, something happens. You should take it every day, knowing that, knowing that. told me to, I was doing it yesterday, and he told me I, I had to do it this way, and so, Lord, we just come before you, and we acknowledge what you did, and we put ourselves at the cross, we put ourselves at the grave when you come out, and the, the resurrection in that glorified body, we acknowledge it, we acknowledge today that you bore our sicknesses, you carried our pain. Every sickness that can be put on us was put on you. And by the stripes of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, every cork, molecule, atom, cell, tissue, fiber, proton, electron, neutron of our bodies was, is, and stays 
completely and extremely healed and whole. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which was broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant. Cut in my blood. It's a blood covenant with him. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Remember him. And we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future. In Jesus' name, amen.